0: My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon our, your lips. Therefore God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one in your splendor and majesty. Those are the first 3 verses of Psalm 45, which is the psalm appointed for today, Tuesday, May the 10th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being with me today. I appreciate it very much. We're continuing our look at um, the Book of Wisdom, which I explained yesterday. If you missed the explanation for what the Book of Wisdom is, go back and listen to the first couple of minutes of yesterday's podcast, and you'll hear the explanation. and then we're also continuing our look at the, at the gospel according to Luke, chapter 6, uh, verses 12 to 26, and also in uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians, uh, chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, which in my opinion, are, they're very similar to the first 18 verses of John's gospel, and they also have a, have, have a big bearing on the book of Hebrews, particularly in the first chapter. Um, it, it's an ode to the, to the supremacy of Jesus and to the preeminence of Jesus and the preexistent Jesus as well. So in this wisdom literature, yesterday, if you weren't, weren't with us, you didn't listen to the whole thing, but you did go back and listen to the explanation of what in the world wisdom is, uh, which is not in the, book, in the Bible, it's in the Apocrypha. Yesterday, what, what the writer looked at was to say, people who, are not, who don't believe in God think a certain kind of a way, and that way is, is, is that uh, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, and there's nothing that comes after that. So there's nothing to restrain conduct. There's no reason to restrain your conduct. It's to seek out the most pleasure you can possibly get. So it, the, the, another way of looking at it is, is that to say, this is all there is, there ain't no mope. And so here today, Solomon's given us the, the answer to that, the, the God, uh, godly response to that, a, a different way of looking at the world. So we had one worldview expressed yesterday, which is this is all there is, there's nothing else, and there's no eternity and today, what we get is, uh, you can't say a Christian response because this is literature from pre-Christian literature, it's, but it's, it's biblical literature, let's say. So here's what he says, but the souls of the righteous are in the hand of God, and no torment shall ever touch them. So he, this is somebody who has the perspective of eternity, who says that the, the souls of the righteous are, are in control of a loving, living God. And no torment shall ever touch them doesn't mean that we won't suffer in this life. But what it does mean is, is that, that ultimately that's not the final word. In the eyes of the foolish, they seemed to have died. And their departure was thought to be an affliction. And they're going from us to be their destruction. But they, the righteous ones, are at peace. So no matter what we go through, because we know and we 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 know with certainty on our side of this equation, because of the resurrection of Jesus, because we know these things, because we know that there is an afterlife, we're at peace, in spite of what they do to us. And we're gonna see that. Jesus talks about it in the in the gospel today when we go through the beatitudes that, that Luke captures. <clears throat> he says, For though in the sight of men they were punished, their hope is full of immortality. And that's an important thing for us. It's important that we see ourselves in that way. And we understand suffering in a different way. We understand this world in a different way. We understand persecution in a a different way. Because we see through the eyes of Jesus and we see this world through the life of Christ. We see what it did to him. We see, in fact, what religious people did to him. And we need to have different eyes than religious eyes. He says, having been disciplined a little, they will receive great good because God tested them and found worthy of himself. Like gold in the furnace, he tried them and like a sacrificial burnt offering, he accepted them. This is the same theology that you're going to see in the book of Hebrews is, is that God has to discipline those he calls sons. And so it's important that we see this thing. It's important that we see these tests and that we pass these tests. It's an interesting thing. This morning, before I did this particular podcast, in fact, I was tempted to go do something else that wasn't horrible. But if I had done that, it was something that I would have enjoyed, that if I had done that, then what the message that I would have sent would be, well, doing this podcast in the Word of God, is of lesser importance to me because I have a desire that leads me in another direction. But no, I had to say no to that in order that I could focus on this. And that'll probably, that decision, that one little decision, will probably change a, a chunk of the course of the rest of my day. So it, it, it's, we, we have to constantly pass even little tests like that, that if I could go out and do this thing that would be fun, rather than focus on the podcast, then And and when I consider doing the podcast, I consider it important for me. I don't know if it's important for you or not. It's important for me because it keeps me grounded in the Word of God every day. And that is the most important thing that I can do. So that that test that I was presented with this morning, it's a tiny little test in the grand scheme of things. But because of it, it reorients my day. And so I'm going to spend the time to do this, which means I don't spend the time to do that, which means that now I can't probably end up doing that at the end of the day because well, I won't have time. But this was more important, and I had to decide that for myself. So these tests can be small and great, right? But, but if you pass that test, you do the thing God wants you to do, then, then it might reorient your entire life. You don't know. So he goes on to say, in the time of their visitation, they will shine forth and will run like sparks through the stubble. They will govern nations and rule over peoples, and the Lord will reign over them forever. Those who trust in him will understand truth, and the faithful wife will abide with him in love, because grace and mercy are upon his elect, and he watches over his holy ones. So what he's saying is, is if you want to understand and you want to experience the blessing of God in your life, take every test seriously. Take them all seriously. Recognize that there's always a temptation from greater to lesser. Don't let the good become the enemy of the best is the way that my mentor Chuck Murphy used to say it and it's an important thing always to consider and those are all tests even though we don't consider them to be tests because it seems innocuous and pointless. But literally giving this 30 minutes to God today rather than going and doing that other thing is going to change the course of my day. And if it does that, then then it's probably going to change the trajectory of my life in some minute way. But, But if you fire a gun and it's only off a little bit, if the sight is wrong just a little bit, then ultimately downrange, you're way off target. And it's important that we remember those things. It's important that we keep our focus and keep our attention on him in all things. In the gospel today, Jesus tells us how to navigate life, and he tells us that by the Beatitudes, but before that, he tells us something else, another way about navigating life. Listen to this. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night, all night, he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. I guarantee you that the perseverance in prayer through the night is why he chose these particular people. His time spent in the presence of God is exactly the source of the wisdom that he had in choosing these people. And I guarantee you, he knew from the beginning who Judas would be. We know that he did. We know that he knew these things. And so, but, I, but it's import, if it's important for Jesus to persevere in prayer, in the presence of God, how much more so us, right? So he comes down and he chooses his disciples, Simon, whom he named Peter, the rock, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the zealot, and Jesus, or Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And so he called them up with himself, and then he came down the mountain and stood on a level place. Now, I've said this in a sermon not too long ago. The action here sounds a whole lot like Moses at Mount Sinai with the people. He goes up, then he takes some of the leaders up, and they have a meal in the presence of God, and then he comes back down at the foot of the mountain, because the people are at the foot of the mountain, and they're not to touch the mountain, so they're to be in a level place. And he comes back down, and then he teaches them. He tells them what God said. So it's the same action. So he comes down with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. So what's interesting in that is, is that he's got them from sea to shining sea essentially in this, but he's got three groups of people, the 12, the great crowd of his disciples, and then a great multitude of people from all these other places. So these other people are there just to hear. They're not fully signed in or dialed in with Jesus's, um, teaching and project here, and and I want you to hear this, in, in the coming out of Egypt, there's a group of people who come from Egypt with the people. So some of the Egyptians come. They're known in um, in Judaism as the Erev Rav, and, and that's the mixed multitude that comes out. So the Erev Rav comes out with God's people. And what some Jewish rabbis will teach is is that all the problems in the wilderness were created by the air of rav they weren't fully signed on they say they're the ones and this it makes this part makes some sense when they pine for what was in Egypt oh do you remember what it was like there we had the leeks we had the fish we had the this we had the that but here all we get is manna what they teach, some, some not all rabbis teach this, but, but many do, is that's the era of Rav. These are the Egyptians who have joined themselves to God's people based on what they had seen, but they had not fully signed into God's project yet. And it makes sense that they would, because remember, the Hebrews were slaves when they were in Egypt. And so they wouldn't have enjoyed the, the fruit of the land and the prosperity of the land in the same way that these would. And so, you, so that's what they see. So, what you see here is the disciples and a great multitude of others. And so, you see that same dynamic going on here. So, they came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. So, we want the benefits, but maybe that's all we want, <laughs> and it happens. So, and, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. So, you healed of diseases. He, he, he. Uh, cures those with unclean spirits and the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all so in their mind there's a connection that i have to make a physical connection with you in order to be healed and so they want to touch jesus and we see that with the woman with the issue of blood who, who wants to touch him because she believes that that's the necessary thing that he has power in himself that can be transferred outward to them and Jesus doesn't discourage people from touching him. With the woman that, uh, with the issue of blood, he just wants to know who it was. And so here, it's an understandable thing. And one of the things that, that was true at the time was wealthy people or, or people of nobility would have, the, along the hem of their garment, would be a thing that identified who they were and what their power was. And so people would come up and they'd want to touch the hem of the garment because that was where the power was. And so here, that's what you see with these people. And so they believed that he had power. Well, there's, there's a difference between believing that somebody has power and understanding the source of that power. So Jesus lifts up his eyes on his disciples and says, blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. He's describing a topsy-turvy world. He, he's saying that you you can have your eyes fixed on the kingdom. It kind of fits with the teaching of it's harder for a rich man to pa- to uh, enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. And so he's saying you're blessed if you're poor. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. You you don't have anything. You don't have any hope except the kingdom of heaven. You can't rest in your riches. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you'll be satisfied. And it's that topsy-turvy look that we saw in that first reading from the book of Wisdom. Right? Don't, you're, don't set your store by things on earth, but believe in eternal life, because ultimately you will receive satisfaction. This is fleeting and passing. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Same thing, suffering, uh, mourning, all that stuff, wrapped into weeping now. And so that'll pass. Weeping comes for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Yeah, I feel blessed. I'm feeling really blessed, Jesus, because people hate me and don't want to have anything to do with me and slander me. But he goes on further and says, because of the Son of Man, because of your faith in me. Rejoice, he says, in that day and leap for joy. Anybody here ever react that way initially? <laughs> for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did the prophets. So the same people who are doing this to you are the ones who put the prophets to death and persecuted them. And they are the saints in light that Paul was speaking about yesterday in Colossians. But woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. If that's what you've taken your satisfaction in, bully for you. You've received everything you're ever going to have. Woe to you who are full now, for you'll be hungry. These are the reverses of those first blessings. Woe to you who laugh now, for you'll mourn and weep. Woe to you when people speak well of you, so their fathers did to the false prophets. And that is exactly right. They didn't persecute the prophets who were true. They prosecuted the ones who were false. Because the false ones were prophesying prosperity, peace, harmony, blessing, and it didn't happen. So, but, which would you rather hear? And that's exactly what Jesus is getting at. He says, get a, get a heavenly mind, get a kingdom of God mindset, get an eternal perspective on things. And so in the letter to the Colossians, like I said, this is, this is a wonderful exposition of the supremacy of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. John says in less detail, John says that same thing in in the first few verses of John, of his gospel. But here, this is something that I think we need to to pay attention to and we need to think more deeply about. He he created not only the things that we see, he says, but the things... in heaven and on earth were created by him those things that are visible and those things that are invisible and and we tend to overlook that distinction we tend to not see things the right way and it's what paul's explaining and what he's trying to get across in ephesians when he talks about we don't struggle with flesh and blood but principalities and powers and those in the heavens and so we have to realize that we live in an unseen realm that there are less than benign spirits around us. Let's say some of those are actually malignant. Their intention is to destroy us, but they're all around us, and so we don't recognize the danger that we're in every moment of the day, but recognizing the danger is only the first part of the equation. As Elisha's servant learned at Dothan, when he saw the armies arrayed against him and his um, his, his chief guy, Elisha, he sees that but Elijah, Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes. And when he opened his eyes, what he saw was the heavenly angel armies arrayed against them. And he took hope. But, but, he, but it was necessary that he see the danger that they were in in order to see the protection that God had for them. And, and we need to see that on a spiritual level as well. <laughs> Whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So it doesn't matter who's on the throne. He's on the throne. And he is before all things. In other words, he was preexistent. And in him, all things hold together. So it doesn't matter what you see. The truth is all things hold together in Christ Jesus. So don't let the evidence of your eyes dissuade you from the hope and the peace you ought to have. Because ultimately, your hope and your peace is in the knowledge of the sovereignty of God over all things. These things are passing away. And he's the head of the body, the church. That needs to always be true. He's the beginning. The firstborn from the dead. So he was before all things, and he's the firstborn from the dead. So he's the first fruits of creation. Because he is the one who inaugurates and opens up eternity for us. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's a powerful, powerful statement. The fullness of God in human form, and through him to reconcile himself, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He laid down his life in order to make peace, peace between us and God. There was no peace between mankind and God until Jesus died on the cross. That made peace between us and God. But the fullness of God dwelling in him, and that's what John says, when he says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. The law comes through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. That's what he means. That's what he means when the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. His glory, the glory of the one and only. Grace and truth through Jesus Christ. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. So he, he's preaching the gospel that earth and heaven meet in him, in that cross, that he has reconciled us who were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So our minds weren't right, and, our, and, and because our minds weren't right, our deeds weren't right. And that's what he means when he says that we're not to be conformed to the world. No, we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, which is then intended to issue forth in a new life and a new way of life. A new way of thinking begins a new way of living. He he says there's a reason he did it, and that is to to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, don't waver. You're not intended to waver because he didn't waver, and his resurrection is true, and the message of the cross is true. Not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. He said, be single-minded, be stable-minded. It's as simple as that. Know what your hope is, and know that that hope is secure because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ.